Hello and welcome to On Air with Elk River Treatment Program for Teens, the residential program of Pinnacle Behavioral Health. I'm Selena Mason, the Director of Marketing and Outreach. Today we welcome Aletha Howie. She is the Special Education Director for Elk River Treatment Program and the other programs for Pinnacle Behavioral Health. Hi, Aletha. Hello. How are you today? I am very good. Okay, great. Can you give me a little background about um, you know, your education and experience? Well, I have been in the education business for about 36 years. Uh, 26 of those years were in public education as a special education teacher. I worked in the regular classrooms and in my own classroom, and the kids would come in for help. And all kinds of uh, disabilities, math. Specific learning disabilities, um, emotional problems, uh, multiple disabilities, um, you name it, autistic, I did it. Well, I know my own personal story, not to make this all about me, but um, I didn't just get into this business because I chose it. I mean, how did you get into special education? How did, did it find you or did you find it? It found me because I started majoring in history in college and then I, I joined a group. Then they made me the philanthropic chairman. Oh. So our philanthropy was uh, mental disabilities. So I started going into Bryce and uh, Partlow and some of the mental places that they had um, in Tuscaloosa. And, and that's in Alabama, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> and I completely changed my major to special education. It's different. It's not the same thing every day. All the kids are different. You're, you know, looking into how they learn and why they learn. And uh, so, and you want to see success in all children. So how did you get to Pinnacle? I retired and thought I probably would just get out of the education business and do something else after 26 years. And uh, Karen Lee called me and asked me if I would come to uh, a new adventure with an alternative education program that included mental health services um, along with the educational piece. And, of course, I said, yes. <laughs> and it's been a wonderful adventure. Karen's very hard to say no to. Yes. It's been a wonderful adventure, and I have learned more than I learned in my 26 years of, in public education. If I had known when I, when I was doing in public education what I've learned now, I would have been a better teacher, a better parent. Well, tell me why. Because tell you me. see the whole picture. You know, you, you don't just see them at school. Um, we see them and we connect with the parents and the family so we know where their learning issues are coming from. Um, and it's, and when you see the light come on, when the kids have been struggling in school for their entire life and they finally figure out that they can learn and they can be successful, uh, when you put it all together and it's just like a whole family connection. So I guess we need to let our listeners know that Elk River is a residential program for teenagers, well, ages 12 to 18. We also offer an accredited education program that's for grades 6 through 12, and I guess a college prep as well. Mm-hmm. Um, kids with us are actually in a residential setting. It's a very mm-hmm. safe, structured education and therapeutic setting. So 
how do you come in when uh, a new child comes to us and starts to enroll in school? I mean, what's your what's your role? Um, when we have someone interested in uh, coming to Elk River, um, they've usually not been successful at home, in school, in most areas of their life. So, um, and this is, that's why they're considering residential. Um, I check and look at their, their records, their IEP, if they already have an IEP. Um, can you tell people what an IEP is? An individualized education plan that you have when you're getting special services at school and also 504 plans. And most of the kids that come to us do not have 504 plans and IEPs, and they should have had 504s and IEPs. Um, but sometimes the schools fail to refer them, and the parents just don't realize how, how serious their problems are at school or that it's, it's a connection between their mental health issues. Tr school is a trigger for children with trauma, ADHD, any kind of learning problems. School is a trigger. So as I understand it, we get kids sometimes to Elk River that are, quote unquote, behavioral problem, mm -hmm. or they have behavioral problems, when in actuality, they may have a learning challenge. And their way of coping with that is to maybe, you know, behave badly in school. Mm -hmm. The kid's not a bad child. I mean, it, but they're behaving badly for a reason. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Um, if they're frustrated, easily frustrated, in public schools, it just goes, they go too fast for our kids. They're there, what, six hours a day, and about four hours of those days, that out of the day, is used for learning, and the other couple of hours is used for, you know, clubs and lunch and social. PE and social, so... It's a lot to put on a child that has learning problems and or behavior problems. So how would a parent, you know, I want this podcast to be a service for parents, um, not necessarily looking for a residential program, although we are here if they do need our services. But say a parent um, is noticing these issues, problems, behavior problems, or, or what should they be looking for? I mean, how would they be able to identify my child actually has a learning challenge or a learning disability? Um, tell me the right language to use, too. Red flags that you want to really pay attention to if they're struggling in school would be um, your child suddenly doesn't want to go to school, especially in elementary grades. In elementary grades, I can't imagine a child not wanting to go to school. It, they have time with their friends. It's supposed to be a fun time, a learning time. So in elementary, if your child is not wanting to go to school, um, they're not bringing home their work, um, they're struggling, the teacher's calling you with behavior problems, those are all red flags. And it's time to start asking questions. Now, who do they ask these questions to? Uh, you start with the teacher. Um, and if you don't get the answers that you're looking for with the teacher, it's best to go to a counselor and then possibly a principal. And one of the main things you want to uh, keep in mind is to always keep your documentation of your contacts, who you talk to, 
when you talked to them, what was said, and follow up with an email, an email or some follow-up questions and just stay on top of it. Well, tell me why that's important. Um, they they deal with so many different parents and students, and they are responsible for child fines, and they're, they're supposed to recognize these problems and refer so that parents don't have to do this. But it gets overlooked, and especially these times when school is not what it should be, Right now, yeah, with with COVID, but you just really have to stay on top of it and make sure that you follow up. So, Aletha, what would be the next step that parents should take? The next step after contacting the teacher, talking to the counselor, and you're talking about a school counselor, a school counselor, um, would be to make a referral if things do not improve. If you come up with a plan. Um, and your child is still not improving and you're not seeing uh, results, you would, in writing, make a referral to the school um, and just ask for testing as um, so that you think your child needs extra services. And in the referral, you would say, I would like for my child to be tested for special education services or 504 services. Tell me 504. What exactly does that mean? Uh, a 504 service is covered under um, Individuals Dis- Disabilities Act, and you get accommodations in the regular classroom. That they will. The only difference in the special education services and the 504 services is special education services get help from a special education teacher. Okay. Or in extra services from the school system, like if they need speech and language and. Uh, occupational therapy and those kinds of things are covered under uh, covered under special education. Um, Five hundred four services would just be accommodations in the regular classroom, like preferential seating, extended time on tests, um, more one on one help. If it can be taken care of in the regular classroom, then it's five hundred four. I got you. If they need more services than that, then it would be the special education services. Okay. Um, when you make that referral to the school system, your timeline starts on that day, and they have 30 days to respond to your email. Um, they will require to have a meeting and pull their documentation together and meet with you and accept the child for the referral or deny them a referral. Um if you have documentation that your child is already uh, seeing a therapist, a psychiatrist, a doctor for medications, then you already have one step, you're already one step ahead, and they should qualify for services. Um, if you need more help, there are advocates that will help you weave through this maze of paperwork and you know, things that you need to do after that if you turn down. How would a parent find an advocate? Um, online. Uh, you just type in um, your special education advocacy um, in your state. And I do that on the side also. So, But there are num- numerous uh, of us that do that for children. And we will go to the meetings. We will look for the, through the paperwork and determine whether your child needs the services or not and attend the meetings at the school with you. So is there a next step? Say they deny. Um, If they deny, yes, there's an appeals process. 
um, and you can have more meetings after that. And if you've got the paperwork to show and you really push that you want the services to happen, they will have to do the testing. They they must do the testing. If you refer, usually you're, you will not be denied. Okay. They want to uh, prove, you know, they're wanting to prove what they say, so they will need the testing to prove that they do not need the services. Um, and you have documentation, even documentation that they're bringing their work home. And in math, they keep studying and doing their homework, but they're still bringing in C's and D's and and you just don't understand why, then there's probably, there's a problem. So it may be determined that they have a math learning disability, or it may just be reading learning disability. Comprehension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could be trauma. Really? Uh, trauma in a child's life in, in elementary school or their, a parent dies, a brother or sister dies. And, they're, and if this emotional disability or this, this trauma affects their school life, then they will qualify for services, for extra services. And the schools have the resources to do that. Uh, being an advocate for your child is the most important thing because you are the only one that's going to speak up for them um, and make sure that they get the services that they need. When we get a child at Elk River, uh, how often do you discover that these children might have a a, a learning challenge? It's off, often. Really? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not until they're in the 10th grade, 10th or 11th grade. And they've been struggling for years. And they've been struggling their entire, and you don't even really understand how they have made it to 10th or 11th grade without the services. So someone has missed the chance to address their problems. Um, and it's it's not too late at that point, but it's almost too late at that point. Tell me uh, why. They don't have much left. You know, they're already to a point where they're struggling with reading. They're struggling with math. Usually at that point, they have just marked school off. They don't consider school. They're not ever going to be successful in school. and they they come to us and then we provide some structure and more one-on-one help and they don't need an IEP with us because we do have the structure and consistency they know what to expect every day the program will if they have a problem reading the program reads the instruction to them um there's more hands-on and they they're not afraid to ask for help because it's a small group so then the light comes on and they say how wonderful school could have been. And we try our best to, you know, get them to a point where they can succeed. But the earlier that you find the problems, the better it is. So they really don't have to get to the residential setting. Uh, they should be able to get that at home. Yes, at, absolutely. At their home school. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the services. What happens when they leave a program that's, you know, secure and very structured like ours? And is it best for them to re-enter their public school or is it better for them to get the one-on-one assistance, you know, through our program or another program similar? A lot of our parents continue with our program when they go home. 
Uh, we've had a couple leave lately, and their parents were so excited about their success that they want them to continue on our program, our school program that we have. And then we um, we support them online. Uh, they could return to their schools, but they would need to have a meeting with the school prior to. Um, they as in the parents? Yes. Okay. The parents need to have, let the school know that they have a child that has been in treatment. Um, their educational system has, the education program has been structured and they have been successful and let them know that they have never been successful before and they want that to continue and schools are responsible for setting up a program for structure for them to transition back into their school. Um, there's just passed a new mental health act. It's called the Mental Health Services for Student Act, passed in 2020, which set up um, $200 million in grants that schools can request to set aside some uh, services, some extra services and structure, mental health counseling um, for students that transfer from treatment back to the home school. Wow. Do, do I guess schools know about this? Um, they may not know about this. So there so are some maybe things, parents need to educate yes, the teachers. There are some things that you can um, ask the schools to do. There should be a multidisciplinary um, meeting where you're, they're bringing in all of their their um, support personnel, their mental health. They have mental health professionals in schools. They're very, they're spread very thin, but now there's extra money to hire more if they need it. Um, everyone that sees the child during the day should have some kind of contact so that they know this, your child's coming back. These are the things that we you're going to look for. Um, and they sh there should be a safe place for your child to go during the day, during the school day, and a safe person. Uh, there should be a safety plan in place. All schools can do this. They can't tell you no. When you say a safety plan, what, can you be a little bit more specific? Um, if, they're, if they have a, an anxiety issue at school, if they get upset, what is the plan for that? Who will they go to? And if the child knows that in advance, I'm sure that's more calming than yes. just walking back into school uh, like they were mm -hmm. prior to their therapeutic mm -hmm. treatment. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. Yes. Um, there are behavior plans that children with IEPs have. And it's step by step. And the teachers and the administrators, police officers, security, everyone has to be aware of that behavior plan. And it has to be followed to the T every day. And you have to be in close contact with um, the parents at all times. You as in? This the parents. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. The school and the parents' communication is important. Because like a child that's struggling with maybe a high-functioning autism that hadn't been discovered until they were in a residential setting and some assessment and evaluations occurred and say that diagnosis was discovered. Mm -hmm. um, when they come back to the public school or any... Oh, you take that treatment plan and that diagnosis straight to the administrators and they should put a plan of action in place immediately. They can't put you off. They can't say, you know, it's going to take time for us to do this. It should be immediate. 
if they have to do the testing and everything, there should be a temporary plan in place until the testing is done. Gotcha. Can you share with us some examples of advocacy or, you know, some of our graduates of Elk River, you know, how, how did they transition back to school? Did necessary steps to have to take, be taken, you know, to make sure they were successful? One uh, that sticks in my mind, uh, we had a young man come to us from uh, oh, about 50 miles away, um, and he was a behavior problem in school, so he already had a reputation. He was in the uh, ninth grade. He had barely started high school, but um, was going downhill. He was sent to us, and it was a struggle. In the beginning, he did have an IEP, um, but he had never been successful in school, even with an IEP. Um, he had a home life that, you know, we, we needed to work with the parents and um, make sure we got all of his core issues. And, and then with our computer program, he could see, he saw that he could do the schoolwork. And he had always been told that he was to, you know, that he needed a lot of special help and he needed to be pulled out, but he was in the same classroom with the other kids and started being successful. And by the time he, he was ready to leave, um, he was being very successful. He had A's and B's. So maybe for the first time in his life? Yes. Wow. Um, that's when the light came on. Oh, and he couldn't wait to get back to school. So he gets back to school. He was in class like like the second or third day. And I think he had his phone out or, you know, now they work on the computers or he had the iPad and something he was not supposed to have. And you can't expect them to be perfect. But the school knew he was coming back. Um, so the teacher demanded that he put whatever it was up and, you know, was not real nice about asking him to put his things away. So he he did what we prepared him to do, and he just quietly got up out of his seat and left the classroom and went to his safe place. Was his teacher aware of his safe place? His teacher was not aware of his safe place. So a communication breakdown. Yes. So she followed him out, and he was and he went to his safe place. He went to the assistant principal's office. And he just sat down. Um, later in the day, they called his mother to come for a, a meeting the next day, which is a no-no because, you know, you don't have to demand, you know, you don't have to go immediately and you need pl- a, a time to prepare that they were going and the school informed her that they were going to place him in an alternative school with that one incident. So she called us and um, asked what she should do. So I volunteered to go to the meeting with her, and we had a we had a huge meeting. There were they had all of his teachers, two or three principals, counselors, because they were determined, and it was me and mom. And so they were determined that he was not going to remain at that school because of the one incident. And we just had to stand firm. Um, 
she we gathered all of her documentation and at the end of the meeting they were still determined that he was going to leave the school was it the reputation that he had he had prior okay they were basing it on that mm -hmm. instead of providing the support that he needed they were going to just make it easy put him in the alternative school and be done with it so we got everything together uh went over her rights with her um we advocated anyway to make a long story short they could not put him in the alternative school he did return to school after they you know they realized that that mom had help and that we were going to see it through till the end he did graduate graduated um, from high school he graduated from high school um but it was just the fact it you just had to make them aware that you know your rights, that you're not going away, and that you're going to hold them to do what they are required to do by law. Well, that sounds like really good advice for for any parent, Mm -hmm. whether their child is struggling with a challenge, a mental health challenge or a learning challenge, um, to be an advocate for your Mm -hmm. child. And when we do have um, students leave, I always let their parents know that, you know, if you have problems, uh, if you want them to go back to their regular school, and if you have problems, call me. I will, if it's too far away, because we get students from all over the United States, I will attend, you know, as phone conference or uh, Zoom or however they need me to attend, just to uh, make sure that the school knows they do need to follow the law when um, when working with these kids that have disabilities and emotional problems and have a hard time with school. Well, do you have any parting advice for parents? You know, if you could tell them one thing that they could do to help their child with their education process. Communicate. Communicate with, with your child? or Your with child the and the school system. Um, if, if they start showing signs of not liking school, behavior problems, getting bad grades, um, there are always ways to correct those things and get them on the right track. Just like, ask for help. Great. That's ask great advice. Help. Yep. Well, thank you, Aletha, for joining us on air with Elk River Treatment Program. And thank you for listening to On Air with Elk River Treatment Program. We are the residential program of Pinnacle Behavioral Health. To learn more about our residential program for teens, you can visit elkrivertreatment.com or you can email info at elkrivertreatment.com. You can also call us directly at 866-906-TEEN, T-E-E-N. Thanks again, and we hope you'll join us next time on air.